Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this sermon from God's Word will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. I love that summary of the gospel, right? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. It's a story, isn't it? It's basically our testimony, and it's so short and sweet, it could be all of our testimonies because it's exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. And you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You could summarize your testimony that way. Jesus paid it all. All to him, I owe. Sin had left that crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. We study a passage today and we get to hear Paul's testimony, and the details of his testimony are quite unique. <laughs> we can't, can't quite just copy Paul's testimony when we seek to share our own and tell others about what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. Paul had quite the unique testimony. But we can echo the words of the song we sang together, Jesus paid it all. And as we think about uh, the focus of the Christian life, the songs today hopefully have turned our attention to him again to remember that it, it really is all about what Jesus has done for me. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. And so as we think about today's text and understanding how how the Apostle Paul walked through this, uh, the goal is that our hearts would would grow deeper in their love for the Lord Jesus Christ and our our devotion to Him and what He's done for us, and then our readiness to share with others how Jesus saved us from our sin. Really what we see in Paul here is he's just ready to leverage even a tough situation in order to share the gospel. Remember the scene, we, we read it there in verses 37 through 40. If you think about it, Paul had been beaten for an extended period of time. Remember that the centurion ran to get the commander and then the commander came with all of his troops and you can imagine how long it takes to move that many troops to come help Paul. All that time he'd been beaten by this this crowd that had just lost complete control. So they, they have to carry him up the stairs and that's where we encounter Paul and I tell you what, my, my temptation would have just been to think about myself in that moment, you know, kind of this woe is me mentality. I'm, I'm hurting as the guards are carrying me up the stairs. They're probably grabbing me in places where I'm, I'm bruised, bleeding from the beatings. I'm about to head into prison. Not only would I not be thinking about witnessing to the crowd, I'd be really angry with the crowd. You know, kind of good riddance, enough with you, sort of a thing. And just thinking about myself, and Lord, what is happening to me? Why am I going through this, you know? But Paul leverages this point. He's up on the stairs, and he's hurting, and by God's Spirit in him, I think this is, you know, not even Paul-focused here. I think this is just God at work in Paul's life. He has the wherewithal to say to the commander, can I speak with you? You know, it's just the, the, the respect shown even in his question. Can I speak with you? you know, the commander obviously answers yes because he continues on and he's surprised to hear that Paul speaks Greek. 
Paul had been among the Jews, and, and he saw him in the temple, and so most of the Jewish people in Jerusalem spoke uh, a Hebrew form, uh, a Hebrew language called Aramaic. And so we probably had heard Paul speaking that. He's surprised here he speaks Greek. He's particularly surprised because that means he's not who he thought he was. The commander thought he was a guy from Egypt who had been riling up the crowds and had made that assumption about Paul. So, so you're not that guy. Okay, well, that's interesting. Paul explains where he's from, why he knows Greek. He's from Tarsus and explains why he is connected with the Jews. I, I was raised a Jew and And so Paul is granted permission to speak to the crowds, and and there, hurting, bleeding, on top of the stairs, we can imagine Paul kind of, you know, motioning with his hands, calm down, I have something to say to you. And surprisingly, they they hear him speaking, you know, their language, Aramaic, and the, the crowd kind of calms down, and they're ready to listen to what Paul has to say. What we see in Paul's life as we just open this whole story is his, his readiness to leverage his own suffering for the sake of the gospel. And this is the theme that we're going to work on together as we work through this text. Just like Paul, as those saved by Jesus, right? If you can sing the testimony of Jesus paid it all today, sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. If you've been saved by Jesus, then this becomes the mentality that we can pick up as well to leverage any opportunity to tell others about the salvation in the name of Jesus Christ, to testify the way He saved me. Now, of course, your story and my story are going to be different from one another and different from Paul's story for sure. But regardless, as those who've been saved by Christ, oh, that we would, we would leverage more and more opportunities to testify to what Jesus has done for us. Well, how do we do this? Let's walk through uh, Paul's approach here as he connects with this crowd and, and seeks to share the gospel with them and hopefully have some helpful takeaways for us as we think about leveraging those opportunities to testify about Jesus' salvation. Number one, notice that he connects with the lost by sharing how he was lost without Jesus. In, in this opening section of his speech, Paul is just relating to this Jewish crowd. He connects with them. He, he says, I, look, I understand your worldview. I, I get where you're coming from. Notice how he does this in the opening part of his speech here. We, we see it first in verse 1 of chapter 22. He calls them brethren and fathers. <laughs> I tell you what, if I was speaking to the crowd that had just been beating me up, I would have not addressed them as brethren and fathers. The word brethren, you understand, brothers and sisters, he's referring to them, this this is a family reference. He's referring to them as fellow Jews. They they believe in the same God. And so he's like kind of saying to the brothers and sisters, and then those older than him, he calls them fathers. Talk about a term of respect here. Paul opens his speech with a great amount of just generosity and kindness and respect to the ones who in just chaos had been beating him up. Brothers and fathers, hear my defense before you now, he says. 
And so they hear him speaking a Hebrew language called Aramaic. That was the common language of the day, very similar to Hebrew. And, uh, and he be, they, they listen. So notice where he begins, verse 3. He says, I, I'm indeed a Jew. He's connecting with them. Look, I, I'm also a Jew. Okay, so take a deep breath. Calm down. I, I'm a Jew as well. And he tells them a little bit of his background. I was raised in Tarsus and Cilicia, which they might have held against him because he didn't grow up in Jerusalem. You know, that's like the center point of Judaism. But he goes on to say, actually, I was raised in Jerusalem. See, at some early age, we don't know for sure, Paul, must, his parents probably brought him to Jerusalem, and, and at some point as a young man, he began to be trained by a Pharisee named Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel was highly respected among the Pharisees and a member of the Sanhedrin. In fact, his name has already come up in the book of Acts. Gamaliel is mentioned in Acts chapter 5, 33 through 39, when the Sanhedrin is considering what to do with Peter and John. Gamaliel brings this advice. You remember that advice? He's like, well, if this is from God, then it will, we can't stop it. If it's just of men, then it will die out, right? So that was Gamaliel. It's very likely that Paul might have been present with Gamaliel at that event. At any rate, we don't know. But he was taught. He was kind of the disciple of Gamaliel. So this would have garnered some, some understanding and some respect from uh, the Jewish listeners there. He says in verse 3, he was taught according to the strictness of, the, of our father's law. So he, he learned the law and he learned the strict interpretation of the law. And then finally he says, he was zealous toward God as you all are today. That's a very generous way to describe what they're doing. And Paul again is connecting with him. He says, look, the most positive interpretation of today is that you're being zealous for God. <laughs> I mean, you could interpret this all sorts of other ways too. You're murderous, right? But it's a very positive interpretation. You're being zealous for God. And he reminds them, I too was zealous for God like you are today. Again, he's just, he's working hard to show them respect and to connect with them on their level to be understanding of where they're coming from because they've not yet had the same worldview shift that Paul has had and he wants them to come to Christ. So he describes his own zeal and how that was lived out in verse 4. He says, I persecuted this way. And that's even their way of referring to Christianity. You can almost see Paul up there, you know, I don't think they used air quotes at the time, but right, you can almost see him doing something like that. I persecuted this way, right? Now, Paul was a member of the way. That's the term for those who followed Jesus the way. And so the followers of Jesus, they were on Jesus' path. They walked his path, and so it's called the way. And so Paul is again connecting with them here. He says, I persecuted them to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. I know mercy. Paul was zealous. He even calls in witnesses in verse 5. He says, the high priest knew I was living this way. He had granted me letters of authority so that I could go around arresting people and bringing them back to Jerusalem so they would be imprisoned, men and women, all of the above. In fact, that's what he was on his way to Damascus to do. And here's where Paul begins to connect to the next part of his story. I was headed to Damascus to arrest the Christians, and to bring them to prison when something happened. 
You see in the beginning of verse 6, there's that phrase, now it happened. This seems to be Paul's transition point in his sermon. He says it here when he's about to transition to his conversion, and he'll say it again in verse 17. Now it happened when he begins to talk about his present mission to the Gentiles. And so those will be our transitions as well, our points following kind of Paul's transition. So we're going to pause here before we read about his calling. Now, I'm not giving anything away because we've read it already. You're not surprised to know that this is actually the second time that as the readers, we encounter the description of Paul's conversion. Luke is actually going to include it one more time. Why? Why would Luke include Paul's conversion three times in the book of Acts? Isn't this just just redundant? I mean, come on, it's, it's pointless. I think what Luke is doing is showing how effective and powerful it is to point to what God has done in our lives. And this is, this is Paul's go-to method of evangelism. He, he shares it when he's first converted, and then he shares it here before uh, the Jewish crowd, and he's going to get to share it again before King Agrippa. And I'm sure Paul shared it even more times. He shared his story. This is what God did in my life. I, I used to think the same way you did. And that's where he starts. I had the same worldview as you. He begins by connecting to the lost and sharing how he was lost without Jesus. You may have heard this described as one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread, right? It's not far from what it is when we, when we share the gospel. We, we're telling somebody else, hey, this is what helped me. Many of you have been praying for my wife, Carrie, during her time of of sickness. Thank you so much. And praise God, this week we've we've seen some clear progress, which has been a a huge blessing. Uh, Please continue to pray for her. But but in this time of illness, it's been such an encouragement as uh, people have offered prayer, they've offered help, some of you brought meals, thank you so much for those things. Many of you have even shared, you know, I've been through something similar, can I share something that helped me? Or what's she experiencing? And this was was a help to me. And both physically, some of you have done that, right? So, uh, you know, take this or try this thing and it kind of helps with a cough. Or some of you have done that spiritually. Hey, in a time of my discouragement, I, I read this verse and it was such an encouragement, and you've shared those things with us. Why? Why do we do that? Because in compassion, we relate to people. We see them where they're at, and then we see, you know what, I've, I've been there before. I've experienced that. I, I don't know if it would work for you, but let me tell you what happened, what helped me. And so it's an encouragement when people do that, when they understand where we're at. You know, I've been through that before, and I found that if you try this, if you try this, it's really helpful. Ultimately, this is what we do when we seek to share the gospel with people. But we're not sharing some health remedy. We're not sharing even just an emotional encouragement here. We're sharing the greatest news that exists And we're not sharing it in terms of, well, this worked for me. I hope it works for you. It's guaranteed to work for you, right? And so when we think about compassion, I just love the way we see Paul connect to uh, these Jews here with, with grace and kindness. And he kind of remembers when he was living from that same worldview. 
And so he sees them with grace and understanding and says, oh, I've been there, I've been there. And he's about to get into the good news. We're not quite there yet. But he begins just by relating to them. I, I wonder if, if we can grow in the way that we relate to others, being understanding. Now, don't misunderstand. It's, it's not what we're saying to people, well, it's okay, I've sinned too. But instead we're saying, I'm also a sinner, and that's a real problem. Let me tell you how Jesus saved me. So, so we're acknowledging that sin's a problem. We're not just kind of sweeping it under the rug. But we're saying, look, I have done this too. I've done wrong. I, I, I've been backwards in my thinking, and here's how Christ saved me out of it. This means we have to develop humility and transparency that allows us to connect with those who've not trusted in Christ. We're, we're not better than unbelievers. All we have to claim is the grace of God. Again, as Paul says, we only boast in the cross of Christ. I think sometimes we, we know that's true, but we don't really understand the, the depths of the darkness in our hearts. We tend to look at others with kind of this sense of, wow, that's, that's really bad. Whew, I can't imagine how they could have done that. To say things like that, we miss, we're missing the, the evil, the darkness that's present in our own hearts. And, and it's truly just by the grace of God that we haven't done the same things. Do you really believe that and understand that? Let me give you a few examples. I encourage you, when you see sin in someone else's life, develop the humility that can see the same kind of thing in your own heart. Now, Praise God, hopefully you haven't done the same thing, right? But, but to remember that that's just by His grace. And if you can pinpoint where that same kind of sin is in here, let me just give you a few examples, right? So let's say you, you see somebody who just loses their temper, right? They just get angry and they're, they're hurting people and, you know, oh man, <laughs> they just lost it. I can't believe it. I was just, but then to pause and think, well, wait a second. If I ever raised my voice at someone, if I ever held bitterness in my heart against someone, have I ever been frustrated with the Lord over something He's allowed in my life? You see, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, okay, you've heard it was said, you shall not commit murder, but I tell you, the one who has had anger in his heart has committed murder in his heart. Now, there is a difference between the act of murder and anger in the heart, but what Jesus is pointing out is we have to understand the total depravity of our inward self, that in my flesh, I'm capable of anything. And so we have to have the humility that's ready to admit that. And it truly is just God's grace that my sin hasn't shown itself in worse ways. Maybe we look at somebody who's, you know, been a thief. <laughs> Man, how, how low do you have to be to actually, actually steal something from somebody else? Have I ever coveted something that somebody else has had? Is it not the same heart behind the action? What about adultery? We look at somebody who's maybe committed adultery and <laughs> would never do something like that, right? 
Have I ever lusted in my heart after something God had not given me? Have, has, a, has a husband ever looked at pornography or a wife ever thought, Man, I wish I was married to somebody else? Is that not also adultery in the heart? You see, I'm not trying to be a downer here, but I'm just trying to help us understand we, we must have the humility that magnifies the cross of Christ and truly recognizes, but by the grace of God. I, I don't deserve to be here. Not a one of us deserves to be here. But the grace of God that has reached into our lives, shown us His mercy, that's where we find the humility and the vulnerability to be able to relate to the lost. Not to say that sin's okay, but that I needed a Savior too. We connect to the lost by by sharing how lost we were without Jesus. And sometimes we think, I don't have the same story as Paul. You know, I wasn't, wasn't throwing people in prison in, in modern day terms, right? We might look and say, well, I was saved when I was six or five or whatever. But believe me, you can still see the sin in your heart and you can still understand where you might be were it not for God's grace in your life. And you don't have to have done all those things to be able to see what's in your heart. So learn to talk with those who do not know Jesus with a level of humility and compassion that understands the other way of viewing the world, that recognizes the grace of God in your life to save you out of that life and to make you one of His own. As a side note, there's something else we see here in Paul's communication with the Jews. And it becomes very clear as Paul goes on that religious zeal is not enough to save a person. Over and over, Paul will will begin to bring the focus to Jesus, to the Messiah. Paul is going to describe to them, yes, I was zealous like you are, but that's not enough. Not about just being passionate for God and just doing things for God if, if it's completely misguided. And I, I think it's interesting that Christianity is called the way in this text because there really is only one way, and it's Jesus. Religious zeal doesn't do it. And so it may be that you're here today thinking that your religious zeal, I've always been passionate for God. I've always been in a, a church attender and I've done lots of things for God and I've given money and all these things. That's not the way. Jesus is the way. And it begins by recognizing our sinfulness, admitting together that we do not deserve to be here but by the grace of God. As Paul continues now, he's going to share his testimony, but I want you to notice as we walk through it, we'll do so quickly, that that he's very inviting in the way that he shares his testimony. And so this is the second thing we can learn from Paul here, is that as we share our testimonies, we, we can invite the lost to salvation by sharing how Jesus saved you. Right? So again, as we connect on that level, and I'll start, hey, I, I'm a sinner too, and I needed a Savior. Let me tell you what He did for me. We can share it in an inviting way. This has changed my life. Let me tell you what Jesus did. Notice how the Apostle Paul does this. We'll begin in verse 6. Now it happened 
as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And imagine the scene with me, okay? We've studied it once already a few weeks ago. We read it here in the text already. Paul's traveling with a little group of people down the road, and, and suddenly there's this light. Paul will later call it glory. And that's to clue in the Jews who are listening that this is divine in its source. It's from God. Okay, so there's this glorious light. And because of the light, they fall to the ground. It's hard to imagine, you know, just how bright and powerful that was, but they, they fall to the ground. And this text and the other text explains that there was this voice that Paul heard. The others hear a sound, but they don't understand what the voice is saying. And the voice says to Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? One of my favorite little tidbits from uh, Paul's testimony is how Jesus says, in light of the persecution of the church, why are you persecuting me? It, it shows us the deep fellowship and connection between Christ and his church. That when the church is persecuted, Jesus is persecuted. So Paul hears this voice, Jesus says to him, why are you persecuting me? And, and Paul doesn't understand, who are you, Lord? You know, he's kind of looking up and he uses the word Lord because he understands this is something great and maybe he even already has a sense that this is divine. Who are you, Lord? And the voice answers, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. It's Jesus. Jesus, this divine source, this light that threw them to the ground is Jesus. Now again, Paul explaining all this is proving to the Jews who are listening in an inviting way that Jesus is really the Messiah. This would have made this clearer and clearer to them. And he's just telling a story. This is just what happened, guys. Those who were with me also saw the light. They were afraid. And so I think in verse 10 is where we actually would, would see Paul's conversion. I, I think it's at that moment, as soon as he hears that it's Jesus, I think it all clicks for him. Because what he had been doing is he'd been persecuting those who were claiming that Jesus was the Messiah. Paul gets it. Paul gets what the debate is all about. But to have this moment with Jesus, when this divine light, this voice from heaven speaks to him, Later, Paul says that he actually saw the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knows at this moment, oh, Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah. I think he believes, and that's why he says in verse 10, what shall I do, Lord? I submit. I get it. What do you want me to do? And so Jesus tells him, head on to Damascus and wait there. You'll receive more instructions. And uh, Paul admits in verse 11 that he had to be helped. He had to be led by the hand. He's, he's drawing in witnesses. And this helped his Jewish audience. They didn't want to just hear his testimony. They wanted to know, would two or three witnesses at least confirm what happened? And so you notice that as Paul is sharing this, he's drawing in others who saw, who experienced this as well. So again, he was led by the hand. That means there were others who were there who saw this happen. Remember, he referenced the high priest already that gave him letters of authority to arrest people. So he's got witnesses to all of this. Another witness in verse 12, Ananias. 
Do you notice that in verse 12, he points out that Ananias was a devout man according to the law and had a good testimony with the Jews. So again, he's very winsome in the way he's sharing the gospel. One of the big question marks for the Jews was, is this Christianity present to destroy Judaism? I mean, is this going to wipe us off the face of the earth as a, as a nation, as a people? Is Judaism done and gone for? And Paul's making it clear, no, 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 there's not a battle here. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. What you've misunderstood is that he has made this salvation available to all nations. And that's not an attack on Judaism. It's not an attack on the Jewish people. And so he makes it clear, even Ananias here was a devout Jew. Right? He was a devout man. So Ananias comes to Saul, brother Saul, he refers to him, and God uses Ananias to give him his sight back, and, and uh, that same hour Paul can see, and Ananias tells him in verse 14, you've been chosen, the God of our fathers. That's a very Jewish way to refer to God. So again, this is part of God's mission, God's work. Paul's making it clear to the Jews, Jesus is the Messiah. This is something God is doing. Paul's had the opportunity to see the just one, Jesus, to hear his voice, and so now he's going to be a witness, verse 15. Verse 16, he says, why are you waiting? Get up, get baptized, let's get going. Take that first step of obedience. Baptism, uh, Paul's sins have already been washed away. I think that happened at his conversion, but baptism serves as that outward picture of sins being washed away, of, of our old life being done and our new life starting, or as Romans 6 says, then to walk in newness of life. And so uh, this final phrase here, having called on the name of the Lord, it can be translated both ways, either calling on the name of the Lord or having called on the name of the Lord. I think either way is fine. Uh, one sense of that phrase could actually be just talking to the Lord in prayer. It is used once or twice in terms of salvation, but it's used most consistently in Scripture in terms of talking to the Lord in prayer. And so I think Ananias might even be encouraging Paul, like, here's the path forward. Get baptized and then pray. (laughs) Talk to the Lord. Walk with Him and see how He leads you, calling on the name of the Lord. And this is exactly what Paul does. Now again, we have a transition in verse 17. So in this second point, we see how Paul is just inviting in the way that he shares the gospel. He wants these Jews to believe that Jesus is truly the Messiah. He makes it clear each step of the way that this is of a divine source, that God is doing this. And that it's not meant to destroy Judaism, it's meant to lead Jews to believe in their Messiah, Jesus. And he's encouraging them. This is an inviting way to share the gospel. You know, when we buy something, we like to have some sense that it's going to work. The more expensive the item, the more sure we want to be that it's, that it's going to work. And so in our day and age with the internet and internet shopping and all of that, what, what do we do to be sure that this device, this item is going to work? We read reviews, Right? I love reading reviews. There's something, it's like a hobby. You know, you can just get into reading reviews. You're like, oh, which, which item's the best, you know? And so you scan these websites. There are people that actually make a living just doing product reviews. 
Did you know that? So they, so they go out there and they you know, buy all the different types available and they run all these tests and then they post some YouTube video or they write some article and they write all these reviews. Why? Because they are really interesting to read. And when we spend our money, we want to be sure we're getting the, the best product. And so we, we scour the reviews and, oh, there's one person who said they had trouble with this, and, but customer service took care of it, so maybe it'll be all right. And you know, we're always testing, always wondering, is it going to work? I was reading one product review one time, and uh, I, I still don't remember exactly what the product was, so it shows you how special it was, huh? Uh, but uh, the, the product had something to do, I think, if I remember right, with, with yard work. I don't know if it's like a weed puller or something like this. But anyway, I'm reading the reviews, and, and I get down to one of the reviews, and down there at the bottom, it's a five-star review. This is the best bucket I've ever owned. I'm like, I was not looking at buckets. I know that much. Right? So you got to be careful sometimes. These reviews can be raving reviews when in reality they have nothing to do with the product that you're actually seeking to buy. We tend to be a little leery, a little bit hesitant about some of these products. Is this really going to work? Is it a hoax? We like to hear from somebody else who owns it. Wait, you bought it? Well, what do you think? Do you like it? Does it work for you? This is how we help people with the gospel. We are the living review of what Jesus Christ has done in us. And as we share with people, we want to be passionate and inviting. Just our lives showing that this is it's a five-star review. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. It's the it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And so that as people wonder and they listen, well, is it is Jesus really all all he says he is? Is is, is he really the solution? that our lives would bear that kind of a testimony, that those who see us and, and hear our testimonies would sense that invitation, that, that confidence that, yes, you should trust in Christ and have your sins washed away and be right with God. This involves us learning to share our story in such a way that others will believe. Not, not just what happened, but what they need to do as well. Paul was very clear in his testimony that this is all about the fact that Jesus is really who he said he was. That's what Paul's testimony made clear. <laughs> from, the, from the mouth of Jesus, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. Right? The church was legitimate. And so as we seek to share the gospel, that involves us not just knowing our story, but knowing how to share it in such a way that somebody else senses the invitation to trust in Christ. This begins by knowing the gospel, N knowing the, the, the important parts of that gospel message, which of course begins with the bad news that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, that, that there's a holy God against whom I have sinned and now deserve the punishment of death. But it also moves to the good news that there's a Savior God sent to pay for my sins, who conquered sin and death. He rose again from the grave. And he offers salvation to all who believe. But it also makes clear the right response to the gospel. Not just to nod in agreement, but to actually acknowledge that my way was wrong. And to turn to Jesus in faith. To trust him for my salvation. 
So as we seek to share the gospel, we must make the gospel inviting. I wonder, do you really believe the gospel was a good thing in your life? Is it something you want others to have? Does it move you as you remember and rehearse what Jesus has done for you? As we come to the final section of our text, a few things are going to happen here. His speech will will come to an abrupt end. (laughs) And then Paul is kind of rescued once more and taken into the barracks, and he's he's about to receive a, a beating. But he shares that he's a Roman citizen. And that kind of pauses things on the Roman side of things. As the book of Acts will continue to unfold, we'll see how crucial that moment is in in opening doors for the Apostle Paul to share the gospel. And so what I want you to notice in this final section is that we show the lost that the Christian life is lived for Jesus. This is part of the way that we, we invite people, we, we, we leverage every opportunity for the gospel, is we, we show them that the Christian life is indeed lived for Jesus. This is what Paul's life is all about, and it becomes clear in the way that he lives. Just look with me at this closing section, beginning in verse 17. He continues his story, and now he moves to his current mission. The, the thing that may offend them most of all, even if Jesus is the Messiah, the thing that might offend them most of all is the fact that Paul is taking this message to Gentiles. Do you remember how this erupted? They were accusing Paul of bringing a Greek man, they'd seen him, in, a man from Ephesus, a Greek man, into the temple. So this is very much about that Jew-Gentile tension in, uh, not only in the church, but in Jerusalem and the surrounding regions. So they, can, they really are having trouble handling that, okay, let's just say Jesus is the Messiah. Why are you telling the Gentiles? Right? But now he's going to explain how even that task was given to him by God. So he explains he was in the temple, right? Very Jewish. He's in the temple praying and he's in a trance and saw him, referring back to Jesus. And he said to me, Make haste, get out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. Now, I love that statement because it just is so impenetrable. It's this prophecy from Jesus that the Jews are not going to listen to Paul's testimony about Jesus being the Messiah. And it's in this moment, as Paul shares this story, it has become undeniable because that's exactly what they're doing. It's like being fulfilled in their presence right now. No, we won't reject your testimony. Oh, wait. I guess we are. We are rejecting his testimony. So, yeah. Okay, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess that prophecy was true. You see what Paul has done here? But I mean, God has arranged all of this, but as Paul shares the story, they actually end up condemning themselves and proving the word of Christ as true. <laughs> I, think, I think that's fun. So Paul continues on. He says, Lord, in verses 19 and 20, they know, they know. Now he goes on and describes what the people of Jerusalem know. They know that he's been persecuting. They even know that he stood uh, in consent as Stephen was martyred. Why is Paul pointing this out? I think he actually wants to stay in Jerusalem. It's like these people know me. They know that I'm zealous for Judaism and so they'll listen to me. They know I even consented to someone's martyrdom, so if I show them the truth of the gospel, they'll listen to me. I think that's kind of where where Paul is going here. 
I think he wants to stay in Jerusalem. But as you come to verse 21, Jesus affirms the calling here. He says, depart, I will send you from here to the Gentiles. And as we read earlier, that's the word that sparks the riot again. They hear that word Gentile. What? No, God would not send you to the Gentiles. Salvation is for the Jews only. But that's exactly what God did. And Paul says it in a way that they just can't deny. And so all they can do is riots. And as you read the text, I mean, this is just a raucous scene. And you can imagine them. They're, they're tearing off their outer garments, right? And the word is actually that they threw them. And so it's like, it's like they're so angry with Paul. They're just grabbing whatever they can. It even says that they, they grabbed the dust and threw it. So there's this cloud of dust and smoke and clothing is flying. And they're, they're shouting at Paul. Well, the commander for Rome doesn't want another, another scene on his hands. And so he takes Paul inside. And he still has no idea why this is all happening. I mean, either he didn't know Aramaic, so he didn't understand what Paul was saying, or he just doesn't understand the Jewish tension here. It's hard to say for sure. But either way, he doesn't get it. And so he, he, he asks Paul and actually commands to have him chained and ready to be scourged, ready to be flogged. This is the exact same beating that Jesus received on the way to the cross. It's the, the Roman scourging is what we know it as in history. And so Paul's being bound for this so that as they beat him, they can ask him questions. Tell us what this is all about. They want to get to the bottom of this. And Paul, in verse 25, asks this question to a centurion nearby. Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Even the, even the question is pretty gentle in terms of what's happening here in the scene. You know, I, I doubt Paul was just kind of like, um, excuse me. You know, I, I'm sure it was a little more intense than that. But still, he asks, you know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I misunderstood, uh, but I, as far as I remember, it's not lawful, right? So is it, is it lawful for you to scourge me before I've been condemned? I'm a Roman citizen. The room kind of pauses. The centurion goes over to the commander and says, whoa, be careful. He just said he's a Roman citizen. The commander comes to Paul and asks the same question, is this true? Are you a Roman citizen? Yes, Paul says. Kind of as a secondary line of inquiry, the, the commander explains, well, I purchased my citizenship for a large sum of money. Kind of, you know, how did you get yours? Let's see if this is legitimate. Paul says, I was born a Roman. And so he explains, this is really true. And in fact, uh, in Roman times, you know, you kind of think about this, like, well, couldn't have anybody have just claimed they were a Roman citizen? And well, they would, they would track it down and make sure it was true. And if you claimed you were a citizen and weren't, that was punishable by death. So you were really only delaying the inevitable uh, if you tried that tactic. But in Paul's case, it was legitimate. He really was. God had arranged that in Paul's life for the sake of the gospel. And what's incredible in this moment is that a sovereign God uses a secular government to protect Paul's life against religious zealots. Talk about a sovereign God arranging things for the furtherance of the gospel. 
And Paul in that moment is, yeah, of course, able to preserve his life. But from here, because he's claimed this Roman citizenship, Paul will go from leader to leader with opportunities to share the gospel, not just before the Jews and Gentiles, but before the leaders themselves. And this will be a part of what eventually leads him to Rome, which is incredible what God has done by arranging these circumstances. And Paul leverages that all for the sake of the gospel. He's, he's showing both the Jews and the Romans that his life is lived for Jesus. Whatever happens, that's what continues to be his theme, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is part of the way that we represent Christ in the world is by our testimony, by our testimony. Letting people know, letting people see that I live for Jesus. Growing up, I had the opportunity to um, go to public school and played on a soccer team where uh, most of my teammates were not Christians. Um, My dad was a pastor and and so uh, it didn't take long whether I tried to or not (laughs) for uh, people to find out, understand that, that I was a Christian. Um, and it, it was really interesting, uh, whether I handled that well or not, there was often, once they knew I was a Christian, there was this expectation that I would live differently. And I remember uh, one point that I failed uh, to keep my testimony. It was with my soccer team, and I don't even remember what had happened, but I'll, I remember I, I used a word. It wasn't even a, a, a curse word. It was a, just a, a crude word, a word that I was not allowed to use in my home. Uh, and I used that word among some of my teammates, and it's a word that they used all the time. Uh, and that's probably what was going on in my heart, just kind of wanting to, to fit in. And I'll never forget, three or four of them turned and looked at me with these wide eyes. What did you just say? Now, they, they said it all the time. Come on, guys, can't I just say it too, you know? But they knew. They knew I was a Christian. They knew that I claimed that my life was going to be different. I was living for for Jesus, right? They they knew they they knew just, just enough to know that I shouldn't be saying something like that. Man, a moment like that sticks with you. All eyes on me. Oh, Lord, I failed again. You see, this is who we are in the world. We're Christians. And this is part of how we are to live, is to show the world what Jesus is like. And, and we will fail. I, it happens. But to, to quickly repent and ask the Lord for grace and help to do it better as we move forward. That people around us would see by the testimony of our lives that we live for Jesus. That by our choices, by our conversation, by our actions, they know it's all about Him. They should see holiness in us, not holier than thou. A quickness to recognize our sin, but a desire to to please the Lord and do what is right in His sight. They should see joy that it truly is a joy to know that my sins are forgiven and that every day I'm doing far better than I deserve to be doing because I have a God who's forgiven me. And that should should come through in the way I live. And there are heavy times, don't misunderstand me, but but a joy that steadies me through all of that. They should see love and good works. They should see compassion and mercy. 
They should see what we love and in what we talk about. Oh, that we would take more opportunities to testify of the salvation of Jesus Christ. Because this is why we're here. God has placed us on this earth, and just like God had arranged things in Paul's life to, you know, be a Roman citizen for a moment like this, God has sovereignly arranged your life. He reached into your life while you were a sinner and drew you to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he brought people into your life, somebody, somebody who shared the gospel with you, somebody who's willing to open the scriptures, and, and somehow, by God's sovereign plan, you heard the gospel. And then he moved in your heart, not only to hear the gospel, but to recognize, I need that Savior. And so then you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he turned your world upside down. Your soul was transitioned not from an eternity in hell, but an eternity in heaven with him. You were given his name, a child of the king, and his inheritance forevermore. You were given peace with God. And every little detail in your life, a sovereign God has put in place. Why? So that you would be his child and show the world what Jesus is like. And he's so invested in you to that end that he sent his spirit to live in you. You have all you need by the grace of God to fulfill that purpose in your life. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for what you have done for us. Soften our hearts again to the incredible truths of the gospel. Oh, we need help. We fail so often. We're not the testimony we should be. We thank you for your mercy and your grace when we fall short. Help us more and more to live our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that, that his glory would be seen in us, in this church, in this community, that many would come to faith in Christ as a result of our testimony and our sharing of the gospel in our lives. Give us a burden and a passion for this. Help us as we walk through deep waters, even to leverage those times for the sake of the gospel. And as we close, Father, there may even be some here today who've not placed their faith in Jesus Christ. May the light of the gospel shine so brightly right now, today, that they would see the risen Lord Jesus and turn to him in faith, even now. We pray in his precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.